Hello, welcome to another Bible research and study time. Okay, today I like to go in the path of the church. It, it's, it's very familiar with us, so I think it's going to be more or less a natural habitat. Um, if I ask you, how long do you think the church had been in existence? Or maybe better still, I ask you the question, when exactly did you think the church start? And now many of you, if you are a Christian or a true believer, will tell me, of course, the church started in Pentecost, right? Wrong. Wait, uh, let me take you through this journey to prove to you that the church did not start at Pentecost. Come with me in this journey. The Bible says that and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. The rest is history because you know what, ap what happened afterwards. The Holy Spirit came and people started to speak in tongues. And this day is the day of Pentecost, as the Bible said, because that was the beginning of the church, so to say. But the question is, is that the time the church of Jesus started? Church had been in existence long before Jesus was born. Yes, you heard me right. The church had been in existence before the supposed church of Jesus started. Hold on. Before I confuse you a little further, I'd like to say that these churches are different. The church that started at the time of Pentecost it's not the church. It's rightly called the assembly. And there is a reason why it is so called. Because church had been in existence even before Jesus. And during the time of Jesus, when he said, I will build my church, the church was already in existence. The Greek word that Jesus used that is translated to church is different from the Greek word that church was known for. Watch this. The Greek name for church ever since is Koreakon. The English translation of Koreakon is actually church. But when Jesus said, I will build my church, I didn't use the exact word that is Koreakon, in that statement, Jesus did not say, I will build my Koreakon. Rather, he said, I will build my Ecclesia. And there is a huge difference. 
how come Korea come and the glacier is muddled up? They are different, both in meaning, in practice, in 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 root, in root word, in in administration, and in everything. Where did the confusion come from? Is it a mistranslation? No, it's not. And I'm going to show it to you. All right. I said the Greek name for church is Kuriakon, which comes from the Greek word Circe. That is C-I-R-C-E. I'm sure some people know what Circe is. Worshippers of Circe go to her house to worship. And the house is called Kuriakon. Now watch this. In Greek, it's Kuriakon. In German, it's called Kirke. Old Scottish English is called Churchy. <laughs> Churchy. In German, it's called Kirke. In Greek, it's called Circe. <laughs> I know that's a little bit tongue-twisting, right? <laughs> You know, but in old English, it's also called churchy. But from the old English, it metamorphors from churchy to churchy, from churchy to churchy, and from churchy today we call it church. But it's still the same. You can go online and search this thing. I looked in the Oxford Dictionary and I tapped in the word church. It gives me several meanings, which it will, you will also find out. It's a church, a place where Christians meet. But you cannot get the true meaning of a word by looking at the meaning, because words change in meaning over the years. Let's take, for instance, many years ago, if someone say, Oh, my friend is gay, what does that mean? Happy. I'm just gay. I'm just happy. But the same word does not mean the same meaning today. It has changed over time. Korea Kong in Greek, it's a church. People go there to worship. And everybody knew what Korea Kong meant. As a matter of fact, if we had told Jesus when he was alive, if you told him that Master, I am going to Korea Kong. He will understand where you are going. So, Jesus was very careful not to use the same word, Korea Kong, when he said, I will build my church. But where did the error come from? It comes from the translators. This translated Ecclesia to, Korea, Ecclesia to church. Well, some people say, maybe because it's a type. Well, if that's a type, that's a sincere error. It's clearly an error anyway. But it's just like me telling you, oh, friends, I went to, I went to mosque. I went to the mosque to worship yesterday. What comes to your mind? <laughs> mosque? Exactly. So, when you tell the people at the time of Jesus that Jesus said, I will build my church, they will almost skin you alive. 
because they know what the church is. How come the translators changed it? It's not a mistranslation. It's a substitution. They substituted Ecclesia with Koreakon and they translated it verbatim into English and it gave a false meaning. But is it really a false meaning? It's not a false meaning because the church that was that was substituted with is performing the same role, the same function as the church that time. Let me give you an example. They go to church. They go there to worship Cersei. So they go to church. And that's a common term. They go to church. And they can point to where the church, Koreakon, is. That is my Koreakon. That is my church. And in that church, there is always a priest. Who is the one-man priest who is the head of that Koreakon? Does that sound similar or familiar with what we have today? Today, church has a priest. He has an altar where the priest stands and he has the pew area where the public stays. And this is exactly how the church is. You don't need to, 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 to try to find out how Korea Khan was in those days. Just look at any church around. As long as you see a man standing on the altar, preaching over the people, and the people sitting, receiving what the man is saying, that's the exact prototype. But guess what? Ecclesia is not like that. The translation of Ecclesia is the assembly. And the assembly of Jesus, there's no altar. There is no public area. There is no one man. Ecclesia, the leadership of Ecclesia, is not priesthood. It's eldership. And no one man is the priest of that church. The leadership of the Ecclesia that Jesus had in mind was plurality. Plurality of elders. Many times in the scriptures, you will find the apostles writing to the apostles and elders. Apostles and elders. Apostles and elders. Go to your Bible and search apostles and elders. And look at how many times the word apostles and elders come out. Because that was the leadership of the Ecclesia assembly. Now, apostles and elders, when the church started, and after the apostles left, it became elders. Some people hold the doctrine that after the apostles died or left, were out of the sin, the office of the apostles ceased with them. Some people teach that as a doctrine, but that's not correct. And I'm going to show it, I'm going to prove it to you. Okay, the first question in looking at whether this doctrine is correct or not is to ask ourselves the question. The gifts of the Spirit, the Bible says in Ephesians 4.11, 
was given to the body. It's a gift to the body of Christ. That's number one. Number two, we need to ask ourselves the question, what are the gifts for? Number one, for the perfecting of the saints. The word perfecting means for the training, for the equipping, for the preparation of the saints. So if the gift that was given to prepare the saints has ceased before the saints, then what's, what's the meaning of that? The gift is given for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Are the saints still alive? Is the work of the ministry still ongoing? Is the edifying of the body of Christ, is it still valid? Okay, now if those things are yes, then the gift is still valid. The gift of the apostle is still valid. Some people say, oh, the office of the apostle is gone. Only the 12 apostles were qualified to be called apostles. But that's not correct. Actually, Paul himself said he was an apostle. Even though he did not physically see Jesus, he was not around when Jesus was with the twelve, but he was an apostle. And he was not the only apostle. There were many other apostles. There were some other people after them who were recognized as apostles. I'm going to show one to you right now from the book of Galatians chapter 1 and verse 19. I'm going to read from verse 18. It says, Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. But other of the apostles saw I not, save James, the Lord's brother. <laughs> what does that mean? It means that James was also an apostle. The brother of Jesus, not the James that was beheaded and that was killed, all right, uh, when the, the assembly just started. Okay, but it said James, the Lord's brother, he called him an apostle. What will you say to that? I'm, I'm saying this in love. The Bible says speaking the truth in love. So it's not an argument, it's just the presentation of the truth that. This fivefold ministry exists after the 12 disciples left. As a matter of fact, apostleship, the office of the apostle, exists today. The problem I can say right now is that many people do not know uh, the function of the apostle, which I'm going to talk about later on. As long as the body of Christ exists, this gift also exists. Because it's given for a reason. So if you argue that apostles are the people who saw, who are the only ones that saw Jesus and they left and the office of the apostles have died, why single out apostles out of five things? You know, one of the, one of the, uh, one of the uh, doctrinal way, one of the ways to look into doctrine in the scriptures is not to separate uh, things that are grouped together. You cannot separate one out of five and say, okay, this one is no longer 
when the Bible clearly says that it's given as a gift to the body of Christ. The body of Christ exists right now, so the gifts should be relevant. Let me give you an example. Let me give you a real a quick example in Acts 15 and 2, verse 2. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them shall go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about the question. Now, this is the highest authority, apostles and elders. In, in, in a subsequent verse, And when they were come to Jerusalem, and they were received of the church, and of the apostles and elders, the apostles and elders in Jerusalem received them. And verse 6 of the same chapter. And the apostles and elders came together to consider, to consider this matter. Then the same chapter in verse 22. Then pleased it the apostles and elders were the old church. The apostles and elders, that's the leadership. Then the old church. I like to look at it in the Strong's Concordance. The strong number for the church is G1577. And here's the Greek word for it. Ecclesia. Let me read chapter 16 of the same Acts. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders. Now, if you go a little bit further to the next verse, what does it say? It says, and so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily because of that leadership of the apostles and the elders. Paul and Barnabas going from city to city, from place to place, preaching the gospel. And as they preached the gospel, they made sure that they also delivered the decree of the eldership of the assembly, which were at Jerusalem. So we see that the apostles and elders at Jerusalem were the authority of the early church. But the apostles didn't say, well, we are the apostles. We are the one that saw Jesus. So all of you, you have no say, you have no part. No, they involve them. Now, the assembly is about involvement of everyone. Now, anywhere you see churches in each translation, remember the original Greek word which was mistranslated or which was criminally substituted with church is actually the assembly because it is ecclesia, not Koreacon. And so where the assembly established in the faith and increased in number daily. 
You cannot find this type of leadership in the church. It only exists in the assembly because that was the mandate that Jesus gave to them. He not only gave them the mandate, he practiced it with them, he showed them, he lived it with them, and he warned them never, never to do the leadership that was seen with the Gentiles. I will soon get to that. One of the ways to know if God is truly in a place is to see if people are allowed to share, to participate. Because everything that is of God, everything God is doing, it involves man. It involves people. That is what Jesus referred to as ecclesia, the assembly of people. People participate in the fellowship. And that is why it's called koinonia, participation, integration. Let me read a place for you from the writing of Paul to the church at Ephesus, chapter 4 and verse 16. Paul said, from whom, talking about Jesus, talking about Christ, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted. <laughs> that is, Christ is the figure from whom the whole body, that is, his body, the body of Christ, you and I, the assembly, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies. Every joint supplies according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. Look at that. I'm not going to take that again. According to the effectual working in, ev in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body, Unto the edifying of itself in love. Now let me quickly break down down to my own understanding. Maybe can, that can be that can be profitable to you. Christ is the figure, and all of us that makes the body of Christ, we are we are we are fitly, not just jointly, not loosely, fitly joined together and compacted, and so much so that every joint, every joint is supplies, that is every joint receives its own supply from the head, who is Christ, hallelujah, according to what? To the measure, effectual measure of every part. According to the effectual measure, if you are up there, the measure that flows to you will be just adequate. If you're just low there and you're just coming up, the measure that comes to you will be adequate. Nobody receives an overdose and nobody receives an underdose. And that's how we grow in Him. But everything comes from the head. And He is the head. He is the owner. He is the founder. He is the head. Is everything is the object is the subject of our gathering without him we do not gather 
Many people think that as long as we call the name of Jesus, he's there. But I've seen a couple of places, actually several places, where the name of Jesus is being called and Jesus is not there. <laughs> Paul was in a place in Acts chapter number 19. Oh, we see that Paul did not discern the presence of the Holy Spirit among the people, even, even though the Bible called them certain disciples. And he asked them, he said, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Because when the saints gather, that's an assembly. And in the assembly, we are gathered for Christ. Christ is no longer physically with us, but he has sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. And he says that it will be with you, with us forever. So when we gather, the only thing that separates our gathering, the gathering of the assembly from the gathering of the church is the presence of the Holy Spirit. We must be able to discern his presence. Otherwise, there's no reason why we gather. It's just a religious gathering. It's more or less what is popular today, center. It's just a religious center. Paul didn't want to waste his time. He, he could not discern, and that's why we must have discernment of spirits out of the nine gifts of the spirit. Discernment of spirit is very crucial, and it should not be difficult for you as a believer and for me as a believer to, to know the presence of the Holy Spirit in any gathering. We don't want to be there if the Holy Spirit is not there. Paul said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? They said, we don't know that the Holy Spirit exists anywhere. And Paul was, Paul was like, okay, I said so. I can't discern the Holy Spirit here. And he asked them, okay, so you have no baptism of the Holy Spirit at all? They said, no. And he asked them further, Okay, to what were you baptized into? What's, what type of baptism do you have? Because as a believer, you're supposed to have two baptisms. Baptism of the Spirit and baptism of water. And it was clear that they did not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And Paul was expecting them to say, oh, we, we were only baptized in water. But Paul was wrong. Again, when he asked them, what baptism do you have? They said, oh, we were only baptized into the baptism of John. Oh, John? What do you mean John? I thought you were Christians. He did not beat them over with the word. He did not tell them how stupid, how unchristian they were. He didn't tell them they were hypocrites. He simply told them, he said, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance. Saying unto the people that they should believe on him which shall come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. Verse 5 is very fundamental. The, and verse 5 says, When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, that's one baptism, okay? But we, it's not very clear what type of baptism they were baptized into, right? It was not specifically mentioned in verse 5. He just said they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. But if we go to the next verse, it said, And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So we seek to baptism there right now, okay? 
It means that the first baptism was baptism by water. It says, verse 5, they, when they heard this, they were obedient. They were only ignorant. Okay? They, said, oh, they were caught to the heart and said, oh, what shall we do? And that's the first thing when we preach repentance to people, or when we preach a message that cuts through the heart of the people, what the response we want to hear from them is, what shall we do? They're caught to the heart. Remember in Acts chapter number uh, 2, when Peter rose up and preached to the people, and they, they said, oh, what shall we do? The same thing when Paul, on the way to, uh, to Damascus, when he had an encounter with Jesus himself, you know, he asked him, what shall I do? And that's the question a repentant sinner should ask. Until they ask the question, uh, salvation has not come. Okay? And when they heard this, well, Paul laid, in verse 5, Paul laid hands on them. The Holy Ghost came on them. And they speak with tongues and prophesy. That's the second baptism. The first is a water baptism and the second is a spirit baptism. And we see that consistent in the scriptures. And another thing that is worthy of mentioning in, in that place in verse 5, it says, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of of the Lord Jesus, not in the name of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now that was not baptism. Consistent with it, consistent in the Scripture, you will see that they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's the correct baptism, uh, water baptism, which is immersion in water. There are sometimes that people baptize by sprinkling or by. It has to be total. It has to be immersion. You got to be immersed in water. And you, you cannot uh, baptize infants. For instance, you cannot baptize people who are not yet uh, born again, who do not understand the concept of being born again. So we see that the, uh, the, the church never can stand for the congregation to do things in common. The early church, they even act in common. They did everything in common. The church cannot do that. Because the church has their own way of doing things. They have the boss. They have the man up there who's, who's the head, who's the founder, who's the owner, who's the bishop, who's everything. It's like the CEO. He tells people what to do. All right. And he's up there looking at who's doing it right. If you do it right, he's going to promote you. If you don't do it right, he's going to let you lie low. It can appoint pastors, pastors, it can appoint deacons, it can spend money the way it likes, it can do things the way it likes without any check. That has never happened in the assembly of God. It can never happen and it will never happen. Because the assembly, the leadership is plurality. There is no one man. If you get to a place and you see one man that is the be all and end all, the founder, the owner, or the general overseer, the bishop, the head, and they can they hire and fire. And that's not, I mean, the assembly is not as a, a, a corporation. It's not a business. It's not a company. Jesus is the owner of his assembly, is the head, is the founder. There's no pastor founder. When you run the assembly as a corporation, bringing in your spouse, bringing in your kids, bringing in your friend, bringing in people loyal to you, that is not being led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit must lead 
the assembly. And that's why you cannot start an assembly by uh, buying up a facility or renting up a facility and equipping the facility. The Bible says the, the, the leadership in the body of Christ is given for the equipping of the saints, not equipping of the facility, not the equipping of the building. It's the equipping of the saints for the perfecting, for the preparation, for the training of people, individual, not structures. So structures do not have any place in the assembly. Nothing has to do with structure. We can meet anywhere uh, in the cave, uh, under the bridge, uh, on the tent, in the open field, in the house, you know, but devoid of structure. I understand that there's sometimes because of where people are, you may be compelled to have a structure, uh, I mean, to have a, a, a facility, but the facility is not the body of Christ. It is when we gather only or with the assembly. When we do not gather, when there is no gathering, it's not an assembly. We are saints. When saints gather, they are the assembly. The assembly is the gathering. That's why the Bible said, do not neglect the gathering of the saints. Because if you neglect the gathering of the saints, you do not belong to the assembly. The assembly is the local uh, representation of the body of Christ on earth. When the apostles were still active in the church, they had leadership. They had people that they ordained as elders. They, they did not ordain anyone into title, they ordain people into function. And regardless of the function you were ordained into, you are an elder. You can see how different this is to the meaning of elder today. Hold on. Let's do a little bit more research. I'm going to read from the letter of Paul to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. This means that the rulership of the assembly is eldership. That's the leadership structure of the New Testament church, the fivefold ministry. And this fivefold ministry, it's a calling. Is God that called people into it. That calling does not mean that the GO, the general overseer, called someone because there is need for a pastor somewhere and he called someone. No. Calling is spiritual. It's a grace flowing out of a person that is obvious for people to see. Take for instance, we are in the same assembly and I stand and to say, out of a hundred of us, can anyone here nominate someone whom you know has the grace of pastoring? Amongst all of us, there will be, there will be one or two people that function naturally. 
the grace of pastoring, pastoral grace, naturally flow out of them as a personality. It's not forced. What we see today is people start behaving like a pastor when they have been appointed a pastor. But that is not how it is. They appoint people into pastoring or they appoint someone into a pastoral office after noticing the grace of pastoring in that individual. Do you get, do you get the difference? Let me start again. Let me come again. Most of the time, people start behaving like a pastor because they have been appointed or ordained as a pastor. And that's why you see someone who used to be a go-go person with, a, you know, with an extrovertish personality before, now he's been appointed a pastor and suddenly he begins to behave in a calm way when he, go, when he goes outside, when he's in the public with people. But when he goes inside his house, <laughs> it's true nature comes out. But when he goes to church, God bless you. The Lord be with you. May the Lord prosper his work in your life. Amen. Shall we pray? That's not how it works. <laughs> That's not how it works at all. How it works is that what you are in your home with your family is who you are in the public. And people see the grace and they say, we ordained someone into this uh, uh, vacant uh, position of a pastor because the sheep know sheep. Everybody unanimously look around and say, oh, oh, I think it's Brother Stephen. If anyone is to be ordained into the office of the pastor at all, it's Brother Stephen. In the midst of multitude of witness. The pastor doesn't stand up one day because he's the owner of the church and is the founder of the church. And he appoints someone who is loyal to him. Maybe his, maybe his son or even his cousin or his brother. No, that, no that, that's not how it's done. It's out of, out of calling we see the grace of God flowing in the life of that man. So, the letter of Paul to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5 and 17 says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. It's not every elder that labor in word and doctrine. Let me quickly take you back to the book of Acts chapter 6. The twelve are the ones that labor in word and doctrine. Now, there was a reason for them to have someone labor as elder, but not in word and doctrine. Because the twelve were already laboring in word and doctrine, but they need someone to labor, I mean, to fix the problem with the widows being neglected in the daily distribution. And what did the twelve say? They said, brethren, look ye among you, among yourself, seven men, they needed seven people, of honest report, not of good report. That's different. There's a difference between a good report and a honest report. Honest. Honest. At home and in the public. Honest. Not good. 
the man is good in the public. But let's ask his wife and children. So, oh, no, I can't talk. I'm sorry. I will not be able to talk about this. I'm so sorry. All right. You understand what I mean? <laughs> Full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business. You can see that the 12 who labor in word and doctrine says we cannot leave the word of God to serve table. We need some other people who will serve tables. And this is where the office of deacons came out. But that's not where we're going. Let's read one more Bible passage. And I'm going to read from Titus chapter number 1 and verse 5. Paul wrote to Titus. And this is what he said. For this cause I left you in Crete, that thou should that thou should have set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee as an elder. Titus was a pastor, and that's why the book of Timothy. And the book of Titus is usually referred to as pastoral epistle. Timothy was an elder. <laughs> Titus was an elder. James was an elder. Oh, so, oh, I thought James was an apostle. Yes, he was. But those are functions. Hold on. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. The elders among you. Now, Peter was speaking to elders among the elders among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ. Now, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Peter, hold on. It was speaking to rulers, to leaders, okay? Among you, I exhort, whom am also as an elder. I'm an elder myself. Not the elder in age. Some people say, oh, Peter was old and was talking about an elder because he was in age. And think, no, he was not speaking to elders in age. He was speaking to elders in leadership. Now, this, this corroborates that. He said, um, also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. What is that? Apostle, a witness of the suffering of Christ. Even though I'm an elder, I'm an apostle, even though I'm an apostle, I'm an elder. That is Peter. Let's go to 2 John chapter 1 and verse 1. The elder. Some people say, oh, John was advanced in age and things like that. Okay, that's excusable. In 3 John chapter number 1 and verse 1, John opened his letter with this. The elder Unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Now, I'm trying to establish here that the leadership of the uh, ecclesia is eldership. All the disciples, even though they were apostles, they were prophets, they were teachers and pastors and evangelists, they were all known as elder. As a matter of fact, the one man leadership structure existed during the time of Jesus and Jesus warned his disciples that he did not want them to pattern their leadership according to that. Watch this. In Matthew 
chapter number 20 and verse 25. It says, But Jesus called them unto him, that is the disciples, and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. Verse 26 says, But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your ministry and your minister. And that's a clear difference between Ecclesia and Kuriakon. There is no boss. There is no ruler. The, the, the people that are set in the rulership position, as it were, they were servants. They are people who serve. And they do not have titles. They are known by their calling. So how come Ecclesia, which is the assembly, is turned into church, which is Koreacon? The leadership of Koreacon is by one man. It's either the founder, the owner, the bishop, is the one that sits in the pyramid head. He's the sole administrator. He's the owner of the church. But in the fellowship, it's not like that. The fellowship is koinonia. The ecclesia, rather, is, is koinonia. Remember how Jesus sat with his people, with the disciples? They ate together, they slept together, they walked together, they did everything together. And Jesus stood down and washed their feet to tell them, I do not want you to be like Korea Comp. When you see an assembly, you see all the fivefold ministry together. Because there is no way you can be under a particular uh, function for a long time. For instance, if you are under a pastor for a long time, you'll be lacking in the place of doctrine from the teacher. And if your local assembly, if there is no apostle in the local assembly, there is no one who will go out from the local assembly to establish other assembly and, and appoint elders in that assembly. What about if there is a, a church that do not have an evangelist? It means that new converts will not be coming in into the assembly. And I used to say this, imagine a church <laughs> where most leaders, particularly in Nigeria, for instance, where most of the big names, the GOs, they all belong to one church, one assembly, <laughs> and each one of them, whose graces we know, are elders in one assembly. The problem is that people run and establish a denomination of their own with only one of the fivefold ministry. Some times ago, I was discussing with some people and I began to, ex we began to examine some of the big ministries in Nigeria and I said, okay, what about Pastor E.A. Adeboye? What ministry function do you think he is? And I'd like you to do that. Write down the name of every big name pastors and bishops and archbishops and archpope and assistant gods and all of them 
it that you know about and st start to look at the, their ministry with the view of trying to know what where they actually fall in the fivefold ministry. And, and you need to know this. Many people do not even know its function of the fivefold ministry. If you do not know the function, it's going to be difficult or a little bit challenging for you to be able to place each one of them if you do not know the function. Who is a pastor, for instance? Pastor is like a mother. Someone who cares, someone who comforts, someone who gives milk to the child, who nurses the child into growth. That's, that's the overview of a pastor. What about a teacher? A teacher is someone who always go into doctrine, the nitty gritty, the details about life. And that's the function of a father. Even though the mother may try to protect the child, but the father will say, let this child learn. Release him. Let him go. Tough love. Tough love, right? That's a teacher. Because he wants them to know. And that's why when you see someone looking in depth into the scriptures, going into Greek and, and Latin and all those things, trying to know the etymology of the word and trying to look into the details and things like that. You're looking at a teacher. We know who an evangelist is. I was in a place some time ago and they said that, oh, there's a brother in the assembly that is causing division among, in, in the assembly. And I met with this man after meeting with the leadership and stuff like that, and I came out and I said, I'd like to meet with the old leadership. And I said, no, this brother that you said is causing problem is not causing any problem. <laughs> so this man is an evangelist. There's something bubbling in, it, in the evangelist. He wants to go out and shout. <laughs> he wants to go out and declare the gospel to the lost. If you do not give him the opportunity to go out and bring in people, it's not going to be fulfilled. It's going to cause trouble within the assembly. They say, ah, oh. and they said, that's true. And they said, this brother has brought the worst people into the fellowship. And that's one of the problems they had. They said, this brother brings in every Dick, Tom, and Harry into the assembly. People who are not born again. People who are, who are not even Christians at all. And I said, okay, that's an evangelist. You need that person in every assembly. The person that will go into the downtown, the person that will go into the hood and preach the gospel and bring in people down. Give me a little bit more minute about the evangelist. Evangelist will bring, evangelist is a man that throws net into the water. He does not know what it's going to bring. He, hopefully he brings fish, but many times he does not bring fish alone. He brings frogs. He brings uh, snake. <laughs> he brings, he brings can. It brings uh, worms. It brings sometimes dead bodies. It brings anything. And guess what? It brings it in and dumps it into the church. And that's the problem of the pastor. You sort it out. I'm out again to bring more. And the pastor says, oh, wait, wait. That's an evangelist. He's going again. He can't stay in the church. He comes into the church, receives grace, receives strength to go and do more. So the honors is left on the pastor to nurse and feed and mend. Those who have broken, I mean, those who have broken heart and wounded spirit, it's the function of the pastor to do that 
in the church when the evangelist has dumped them on him. And when the pastor is concerned with doing that, feeding them, comforting them, nurturing them, and doing all that, the teacher is saying, no, that's not the right thing to do. you got to know your onions. You're not supposed to put things on that table. You go take it up and take it to another place. <laughs> you understand what I'm trying to say? That is a teacher. You need to know now who is a prophet. This position is the most confused of all the fivefold ministry because there is the name of prophet in the Old Testament. People think the Old Testament prophet is the same as the New Testament prophet. No, they are different. Many people go by the title of prophet today because they dress like Old Testament prophet, the prophesy, and all those things. Guess what? Everybody in the New Testament prophesies. What makes a man a prophet in the Old Testament is in the Old Testament is prophecy. But in the New Testament, everybody prophesies. So is everybody a prophet? In Joel chapter 2, verse 28, it says, God will pour out His Spirit upon all flesh on the last day, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Does that mean that your sons and your daughters shall prophesy? No. So prophecy is not the mark of a prophet, in the New Testament at least. So who is a prophet in the New Testament? A prophet in the New Testament, I'm just going to give you an example. It's like someone who stands on the, light, on the lighthouse, who stands at the top of the lighthouse and is watching when predators, enemies, wolves are coming into the fold. And what does a, what does a man that stands in the, in, on the lighthouse, what does he do when he sees uh, an external aggression against the fold? What does he do? He shouts. He blows the trumpet. It alerts. It lets people know. Oh, there's a wolf coming. There's a wolf coming. Prophets are people who are in charge of the doctrine so that people are not swayed by all manners of doctrines after the slide of man. Prophets are like the supervisor in a construction site that goes to the carpenter that tells him, no, this nail is not well done. You need six inches, not, not four inches. You go change it. And he goes to the welder. I think this is not well, well done. We need to do this. It's like a site supervisor. He oversees everything and he can authoritatively, and that's what, that is what, that is what is called prophetic teaching. He knows as a matter of fact Huh. And that's a prophet. They foretell. They foretell. Foretelling does not necessarily mean they prophesy what's going to happen. Anyone can do that. Paul said that if somebody comes to your assembly and somebody is prophesying, the secret of his heart is made known to the public. That's not a prophet. It's just an ordinary member given the spirit, uh, the gift of prophecy. And Paul tells them, I wish. Everybody speaks in tongues, especially or particularly that all prophesy. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaks in tongues. Does that mean that somebody who prophesies a, prof a prophet? No. <laughs> what about an apostle? An apostle is more, is more or less a prophet. But the difference between an apostle and a prophet is the fact that while a prophet 
is homebound, watches the home, the home front. The apostles go out and establish a further local assembly, appoint elders, and returns to the local assembly. But the prophet do, prophets do not go out. Apostles go out, you know. For instance, if an evangelist goes to a place and he comes back and says, Oh, praise God, I was in this village and people they accepted Jesus and we can bring them here. It's the function of the apostle to go there and establish the church there. After he's established the church uh, and is able to stay there for about a year or two or three, as long as it takes, he's able to bring people on. He identifies the people who are called into leadership and he appoints them as leaders and returns home. We see that in the missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. How did we get here? <laughs> okay, I re now I, I remember. I said, I'm giving you an assignment. Everybody in your church, in your uh, city, in your state, in your country, I'd like you to look at the big names there and try to see, look at them. What ministry, from what I have said right now, what ministry can you please them? And when I did it somewhere, and somebody said, Oh, Pastor, he a Adeboye is, uh, I think he's a pastor or something, F. Kumui. And people say, Oh, that man is a teacher. And that's why if you go to deeper life, everything is about doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. Don't do this, don't wear this, don't eat that, don't look like this, don't wear this. Don't. Doctrine, that's the teacher. What will interest you is the fact that there are some big names in Nigerian churches and ministry that when people mention them, they could not categorize them into any fivefold ministry. If you cannot categorize them into any fivefold ministry, it means that they do not belong to any fivefold ministry. Does that mean that they are never called of God? No, because it's not only the fivefold ministry that people are called into. There are many other, other ministries. But what it means is that these people are not called into leadership ministry. Some are called into administration. Some are called into government. Some are called into help. But the elders are the fivefold ministry, the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, the prophet, and the apostle. Those are the fivefold ministry. And somebody asked me, he said he would like to ask me a very uh, very a personal question and he mentioned uh, Pastor Chris Oyakilome and he said what five-fold ministry is he into and I said I've looked at it I can't find it I don't know is he a pastor I don't I don't know is he a prophet no a teacher Sometimes you may think that, you know, sometimes, you know, but most of his things are pure heresies. So I can't call him a teacher because most of the time he teaches, they are all, it's all heresies. I, can, I, can know, I don't know where to fit, fit him in. What of, what of uh, Bishop Oyedekwo? I don't know where he belongs to. He's not an apostle. He's not a pastor. He's not a teacher. He's not an evangelist. He's not an apostle. What is he? I don't know. You go ask him. All right. Now, we have to be able to understand the function of each ministry. 
And that is knowing what the true New Testament church is. The true New Testament church is not burdened. I mean, the leadership has no title. All this pastor, teacher, and things like that that I've just called, they are functions. None of them can be called by that title. For instance, calling someone pastor this. That is not in accordance with the New Testament. Everyone is an elder. As a matter of fact, oh no, I'm sorry. There's title in, in Titus chapter 1 and verse 1. Let's read that first. It says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect. It's telling the people that I am a servant. I'm also an apostle. But nobody said servant Paul. All right. If it's a title, everybody will say, why do we say, okay, Paul said, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, those are double combo, right? A servant, an apostle. So it's either we say apostle Paul or servant Paul. Do we do that? Why do we say apostle Paul and we do not say servant Paul? Because it's not a title. And several times, he calls himself a born servant. Peter also called himself born servant of the Lord. That's the title. But looks like every time now, everything is titled. Title exists in the church, but not in the assembly. And we know that the church does not belong to God. Because Jesus did not say he will build his church. He said he will build his assembly. He, didn't, he did not say, I will build my Koreacom. He says, I will build my Ecclesia. Another thing is that Koreacom has a building. Ecclesia does not have a building. Yeah? And that's why people go to church. They go to the building. They go to Koreacon. But we do not go to a building because we are the building. We are the body of Christ. We are the assembly of God. But to Koreacon, it's a place. It's a structure. There is always clergy and laity. That is, the enlightened ones who are being looked upon as superhuman and the ordinary people who are the masses, the public. But in the Ecclesia, nothing, there is no division. We are all brothers and the leaders are brothers among the brethren. It's just like maybe you have a child and you discover that the child is an indigo or as a child prodigy is maybe at age four you can draw and play the piano you know you won't say oh because he can play the piano he's now our father or because my daughter can draw with precision is now our grandmother it's now our geo he's still our brother now we are very blessed that he's called into the, into the office of the prophets so we love him but he's still our brother he's still our son it doesn't change the fact that he's still our son. It doesn't mean that we now begin to bow down before him. I say this very often. It's just like we're in the same class and for the purpose of order, someone had been appointed as a class governor. It doesn't make because he's a class governor, it doesn't mean now he's now our professor. It doesn't now mean that it's not going to sit for the same exam we're going to write. It doesn't mean that it's not going to be subject to the same school regulation that we're subject to. It doesn't mean that uh, he's now taller than us. It doesn't mean that we begin to worship him as the class governor. He's still our class governor. He has been given an added responsibility. And if he's not careful, he can fall off. He can fail. And that's how we must see our leaders. 
But on the, on the Korea account, they are the clergy. Their, their dressing is different. The, the way they walk is different. The way they talk is different. Their menu is different. Their food is different. The way everything is different. Now, that has root in Korea account. It does not have root in Ecclesia. Ecclesia, we are all equal. Jesus dined with the people. He did everything together with them. As a matter of fact, they could not differentiate between Jesus and his disciples. They were, they were together. They did everything in common. <clears throat> Acts chapter number 2 and verse 44. And all that believed were together and had all things in common. So they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. That's Ecclesia. It's different in Korea Khan. Korea Khan asked the people, the, the, the laity, to bring what they have in order to fulfill the inanities and the, 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 the stupendous and expensive lifestyles of the clergy. So if you are in a, in a denomination that they pride themselves in magnificent building, we are having a building fund, we are doing this, we are doing that. You are wasting your money, you are wasting your life, you are wasting away. The Bible says God no longer dwell in house made with hands. You are now the temple of God. And if any man uh, defiles the temple of God, whom shall God destroy? For your body is the temple of God. So why you build? Why, why do you give money to people to build to build a house that God will not leave him? Why do you support a man to build a structure that God wants to bring down? The Bible said, "Do not be partaker of other man's sin." Recently, there have been an issue about should Christian pay tithe? Should Christian pay tithe? And this and that. That's, to me, that's one of the most stupid things, a question a Christian should ask. Are you an Old Testament Christian or your New Testament Christian? Old Testament has its own style of giving. New Testament has its own style of giving. Why do you take giving from the old and use it in the new when new has its own? You need to read your Bible. There is a giving, there is a style of giving in the New Testament. You don't have to. You are not a priest. You are not a Levite. You are not. The Bible says there is no longer a Jew. There is no Greek. There is no Gentile. There is no. We are all one in Christ. So why do you do that? Why do you allow some man to tell you we are now, we are no longer under the law. But when it comes to money, we are under the law. What? <laughs> I don't get it. And as usually say, that the standard of giving in the New Testament is far higher than 10% in the Old Testament, 10% of the Old Testament. Look at what we read here. Let me read it again for you. It says, and, and all that believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. What's the purpose of tithe? So that the Levites who were not allowed to walk, will not have needs, so that their needs will be met. I mean, is that the real, is that still the same purpose? So that the, who are the Levites? If they are still Levites, who told them they are Levites? Where are the Levites? Who are these people? Shalatans, impostors, wolves in sheep's clothing, wicked souls. 
taken from the little that the masses have, combining it together and using it to feed fat on their own greed so that their children and their children's children can have more than enough. And while the church is lacking, while the, the members of the true assembly is lacking, that is not the assembly of Jesus. That is the church, the Koreacon, pagan house of worship. So what's the purpose of tithe? So that their greed will be met, not their needs. Tithe is, for, is to meet greed, not to meet need. Greed of leaders. The assembly is house. Romans 16 and 5. Paul said, likewise, greet the church. Everywhere you see church in your, in your translation, replace it with the assembly. Why? Because the, the Bible, <laughs> they only translated the Bible from a translation of translation that have been tampered with. You need to listen to my message or read my, 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 my articles on I will read my book on uh, the two churches. The two churches. The church that Jesus built and the church that Satan built. You need to read that book. You can download it free and read it. And I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and 19. The churches of Asia salute you. Churches, assemblies, okay? Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church, that is the assembly that is in their house. Is that enough? Oh, not enough? Okay, let's, let's do one more. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. But if I tarry long, that you may know that how thou oughtest to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea, and Nymphas and the church that is in his house. I'm going to give you one more. In Philemon chapter number 1 and 2. And to our beloved Aphia and Achippos, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. The whole thing about building and structure started after 380 when Constantine claimed to be born again. And deceived the old world. And his priest went in and clamped down on the people, sacked them, took over, and killed those people, making sure that none of them escaped, and making sure that all the scrolls that they were, they were reading, all of them were burned, and everyone that possessed one was killed. Thank God for the new the Dead Sea Scroll and the scroll discovered at Lake Qumran which the people have said, if it is made public, it will shake the foundation of Christianity to its core. Because when those people were fleeing, some of them hid some of these things in the cave. And God preserved it for 2,000 years, only discovered in 1945. If they were to make it public, there will be no religion again called Christianity. The Vatican, of course, the Vatican, the Catholic is always in control. The Catholic, Constantine, they are the one who clamped down on true Christianity and continue their own religion 
the church. Build the church. And that's why everything is different. The powerful priests came in. They were too powerful. The, the true assembly was too small. They clamped down on them. They killed them. They burned them at stake. They said they were heretics. They fed some of them to lions at the Coliseum while they watched and clapped as believers, as Christians who are being torn. Their skull broken, cracked open by powerful lions and other animals. The only sin was because they were Christians. They were believers. They would not succumb. They will not deny the faith of the original Christianity. They simply refused. Some of them, you ask them to surrender their scroll, they refuse to surrender their scroll. And they use the scroll to light fire and burn them and burn the scroll along. I suppose that if you are truly converted to a new religion, you want to know the nitty-gritty of that religion. Some priests, some clownish priests who call themselves priests, who arrogate to themselves the titles of the apostle because they didn't know how they were functioning. They called themselves fathers. Where did you see father in the Bible? Even Jesus Christ said, do not call anyone father. How come there are fathers? You must know something is going on. They called themselves bishops. They called themselves archbishops and pope. Where did you see that from? I learned all those things in theology, theology school. They all lies. And that's why we remove the veil on the things that have been covered by the church. Let me leave you with this. The church is the only singular entity in the world that have killed most Christians across ages. How can the church kill its people? It's because it's the church. It's either they are not the church or the people they are killing are not the church. And it's true. The people they are killing are not members of the church. They are members of the assembly. They are members of Ecclesia, the assembly. The assembly that Jesus died for. The assembly that Jesus said, I will build my assembly. And the assembly that Jesus is coming from for, is coming for the body of Christ. If you are a member of any denomination, tell you what. Salvation is individual. No denomination can be saved. God does not save denominations. God does not save by organizations. He does not save by ministries. He's saved by individual. And every individual must know whether he's a member of the body of Christ or not. Then you'll be compelled by the love of God to belong to a local assembly. Not in civic buildings, not in big facilities, but all meet in houses, house to house. May the Lord bless you till I come again with another topic removing the veil from what has been covered from ages upon ages upon ages.